Have you ever bought a couch? Like, buying a couch is the worst. It's the worst. Anna Sale is the host and creator of Death, Sex, and Money, a podcast from WNYC. It's like, am I doing this thing where I, like, go between all the furniture sites and figure out how much I want to spend? Blah, blah, blah. Are we doing this together? Like, Anna told me recently that the couch in question was a big turning point in her relationship with her boyfriend, now her husband. At the time, they were planning on moving in together in New York. The question was, would this couch be their couch? Meaning, would they buy it and pay for it together, like as a unit? That's what Anna wanted. I, I didn't have a couch. In my, it was all theoretical. It was, the, it was like this container, the couch container that was filled with all of the symbolism and meaning. But her boyfriend is kind of noncommittal about the couch. After this, Anna has a revelation. If they can't share a couch, can they really share a life together? From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. In general, I'd say that a lot of people are pretty terrible about talking honestly about money. But I'd argue that we are especially bad about talking about money in relationships. And yet we have to, because a big part of knowing you want to be with someone in the long run is knowing that you're willing to share a home together, which might mean sharing the cost of rent and laundry detergent and couches and a neti pot. Okay, maybe not the neti pot. We're going to find out what happened with Anna's couch, why it freaked her out so much. But before we get there, I want to talk about money in my own family. My parents started sharing money long before they knew they were really ready to. My mom knew how to budget, how to be frugal, but my dad very much didn't. And because they jumped in, without truly understanding any of this in their 20s, their relationship was doomed. We came from a household where we were raised by two parents who had a tough time with money. (laughs) You might remember Brett Goldstein, my sister. I mean, would you say that caused our parents' divorce? I mean, that's basically what mom said. I mean, yeah. And it's so funny how dad now, who, like, flaunts his 800-plus credit rating. He's like, oh, it's like 830 or whatever, whatever. And he, like, gives me all this financial After the divorce, my mom was left with major debt, a bad credit rating. She she just basically told me that. Like, don't do it. Don't combine finances because, like, look at our life. So did mom never told you that? Um, I think she never worried that I would. I mean, I think I was more, I don't know what, what age she told you that, but I was far less likely to, I don't know, how late in life did she tell you that? Or very young. Oh, no, I was really, I think that mom also, uh, maybe that makes sense. Mom saw you as a mini-me to some degree where she was concerned. Mom saw me as dad. So I think that maybe, if anything, she was like trying to protect me. Like, you're going to make irresponsible choices with money. Make sure yours is separate. And she's... She was right, and I and I continue to do so. <laughs> so on both counts, irresponsibility and separate finances. I'm horrifically irresponsible. I mean, I'm not great with money either. I do not balance my accounts. I'll buy a ticket to Scotland at the last minute because I want to. I love treating my friends to dinner. And at the moment, I need to buy better windows for winter. And I'm like, why don't I have any money? But between the two of us, Brett, who's a casting director probably does spend more than I do. And she has a spouse, 
her decisions actually affect someone else in her life. Her husband, Ben, is a glassblower. He makes less than her, but he also has very simple tastes. I don't even know if we'd still be married if he looked at the horror show that is my financial whatever, whatever. Like, okay, here's the thing. Ben was making, I mean, he makes next to no money now. He made no money then, so he can stretch a dollar because Ben cannot envision a world where it's not Salvation Army because why would you do that? And why would you spend more than $4 on a T-shirt? As you can probably guess, Brett does not shop at the Salvation Army. For me, where, like, like this dress that I'm wearing now, I own 15 of them now because every time I see a color or a pattern I like, I'm like, yes, and it's all the same style. And how much is that dress? This dress is 108 So we're over $1,000 in this dress. I'm just going to keep going. Brett says even though she might be a big spender, she and Ben have a shared account that they use for household expenses. Overall, they've found a system that works for them. So sit down together when you pay bills. First of all, set everything up in an automated way so things just get pulled out of your checking account. And and do it together so you can almost be like accountability buddies. And, you know, I think that that... Uh, Did you just make up accountability buddies? No, it's from South Park. Let's return to Anna Sale and the couch she wanted to buy with her boyfriend, Arthur. But let's rewind to the very beginning, years ago, to Anna's first marriage. I was someone who had the luck of kind of figuring out pretty soon after college the kind of work I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to make radio. And so I had been on that path. I got married to a guy that I met when I was in college, and we fell madly in love, and we were each other's best friends. And I was 27 when we got married. Over time, Anna and her husband discover they want different things, she says. Eventually, their marriage falls apart. She doesn't want to share too many details, but the whole experience leaves her wounded. One of the most difficult parts of the breakup, Anna says, was splitting up the money with her ex. My financial manager is like, okay, well, the way that you figure out, like, what money is yours and what money is his is you go back to what your balance was on the day before your wedding. And, like— it's like, shit, that's really concrete and yeah. devastating. Like, you're, you're dividing your stuff, and then you're also, like, doing this, like, math on a piece of paper that's like, here's this money that I had saved before we married, and then here's what's yours, here's what's mine, here's how we're going to settle up, and then it's over. After the dust settles, Anna begins her new financial life, single. I felt like, oh, this is the money I'm earning. This is my money. I get to make this decision all on my own, and that's awesome. I bought a cactus at a farmer's market, and I remember that felt like, oh, I can buy myself something to make my apartment feel nicer. And that was like a revelation. (laughs) And it was like a cheap cactus. Without getting too much into the history of all this, like, can you, like, sort of, like, I know what kind of treat-yourself person I am, and it's, it involves way more than a cactus. Like, just, just, (laughs) way more. It's probably healthy. But, but, I don't know, but are you the kind of person who, like, knows what you have in your bank account right now? (laughs) I totally do. 
I, I, I'm like, re- I've realized again and again in adulthood that my, um, my relationship to money is not normal. It's, it is the place where I express all of my anxiety is, is about trying to feel in control of money. Post-marriage, Anna feels like everything is up in the air. Her romantic life, the work she's doing, and the city she lives in. I remember feeling like um, I was like a, a balloon filled with helium, like there was nothing grounding me. And some people might find that sense of freedom really exciting. I found it really terrifying. <laughs> so that's, that's where I was when I met Arthur. A newly single Anna goes to this 4th of July party on Cape Cod, hosted by a mutual friend. I declared in Brooklyn that I, I didn't want to date anybody who wore skinny jeans, and what I really was looking for was a cowboy, um, which probably was trying to, like, keep myself from dating. And then this guy from Wyoming shows up, and I'm like, hmm. And he's wearing, like, nice classic Levi's. I'm like, huh, interesting. <laughs> so, so you took note pretty quickly. Yeah. He's a handsome person. Yeah, I was like, oh, uh uh-huh. Anna's cutting up some pineapple at this party when she learns that this man, who literally looks like a cowboy, is a wildlife ecologist named Arthur. And then finally he kind of like turns around the kitchen island and he just says, hi, I'm Arthur. And he's got this like deep voice. And I was like, huh, he's handsome. (laughs) And I just, like, went back to, like, cutting my pineapple. Before long, they get to talking. Talking leads to flirting. And by the end of the party, it's clear there's a spark. Well, you know, it was summertime. It was, like, gin and tonics are flowing. And, like, you know, the more we, like, talked, the more interested we got in each other. And the more I sort of revealed about, like, oh, here's what's happening in my life, you know. And, um, and so... So then it did turn romantic. And it was sort of in this way of, like, what was really nice about it was I I got to just be like, this is where I'm at, man. Like, like no guarantees that any part of me is stable. This is where I'm at. And he was okay with it. So we kissed, and it was great. And then we parted, and then it was over. He had to go back to Wyoming. Anna and Arthur start trading emails after this, then phone calls. Every few days I'd be like, what am I doing? Like, why am I having this phone relationship with this guy in Wyoming? But we pretty quickly made plans to see each other again, and I I went out to visit him. Arthur comes to get her at the airport in a pickup truck. With his dog in the back seat and, like, two full bags of groceries and a bouquet of flowers in the passenger seat. And he had, like, put flowers all over his the house where he was staying. And he, like, made me meals throughout the weekend. And I was like, oh, this is like, he's just a grown-up person who knows how to, how to be and how he likes to be in the world. I mean, as this was happening, were you thinking, like, oh, God, I'm, like, I might really like him? And I imagine there was some fear there. Oh, my God, there was a mil- so, so much fear. <laughs> Like, so much fear. And also, it's like, I really like him. Like, am I just going to jump from a marriage to letting some other guy, like, in what his life is doing, like, determine what this next phase of my life is going to look like? Like, that was the big fear, was just like, 
Anna, you're not giving yourself the space you need to figure out what you want, and you're just, like, letting this infatuation and attraction fill in a lot of gaps. These short visits continue, but so do Anna's questions. You know, every visit, like, sort of, like, the the hours before one of us was going to the airport, I would just, like, start to have that hum of, like, what is this? <laughs> like, what, like, am I gonna, am I going to be wasting a lot of time on this person? Like, he lives in Wyoming, and I am a journalist in New York City, and I don't want to move to Wyoming. And, and so there were a lot of things that were just, like, how, what is this building towards? Like, I have to get clear on, on some choices. At one point during the early stages of their relationship, Anna and Arthur are on a date at a seafood restaurant. Things get super romantic. They start talking about money management. Somehow I was talking about, like, retirement or something, something. And, like, and so Arthur says to me, you know, oh, I could, like, use some help managing my money. Like, there's, like, I, I, I could use some help figuring all that out. And I was just, like, like, just hearing him say that, um was demoralizing. For me and my, like, scared self, it meant, like, this person who I thought was this kind of guy who'd figured out how to be a grown-up on his own that I wasn't going to have to take care of, that, like, maybe I would have to take care of him. After some time dating long distance, Arthur gets a job out east. They eventually plan to get an apartment together in Brooklyn. And this part of the story brings us back to that couch. They needed furniture. She brings it up on a phone call before the move. It was really important to me to know what he felt about this couch purchase because I felt like I didn't want to buy a couch that was my couch. And I had this image of, like, what if we move out and then I have to take this couch and it's my couch again. Like, I, I want to be at the stage with you where we're building a home together. And so for me, that was what the couch question was about, was like, are you thinking that you're like staying at this apartment and we're roommates together? Or are you thinking that we're investing in this couch together and this is the beginning of our life together? When he didn't have a good immediate <laughs> immediate answer to the logistics uh, and the, spe- the specifics of how we were going to purchase this couch, I was like, oh, he doesn't really, he hasn't really thought this through. He's not thinking of it as the same level of commitment as I am. Well, wait, what was his answer to who's paying for the couch? I think it was sort of like, I don't know. I mean, it was just like, I don't know. Like, the couch didn't have symbolic value to him. And and I think I didn't feel like he was, like, grasping what I was trying to get at. And it was, it wasn't really fair looking back. Like, because it was a a phone conversation. He had, like, (laughs) driven to, like, a side of a highway where you could have enough cell signal to call me at the end of the day. And I had been, like, ruminating on this, like, how are we going to deal with this couch? How are we going to deal with this couch? And I'm, like, springing it on him because it's really important information that I need to know. And, like, he just wasn't in that same headspace. But I felt like, oh, here's my excuse. Here's my reason that, like, this is doomed. It's interesting that you were the person who was thinking he better commit to this couch, that, that you were ready in that moment to buy the couch of forever, the forever yeah. couch, um, despite all of these other concerns about your own history and what you were ready for. It's a lot going on at once. I know. Like, I, I think I was just like, I was scared. I was totally freaked out. I was totally freaked out that this was going to be another mistake. And so, in hindsight, I can see that there were all these ways that I was trying to test him. And... um 
and they weren't fair. At the time, they felt so urgent, you know? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you wanted him to predict the future of the relationship by means of, by means of couch. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> When you're thinking about forever, wanting forever, it's so hard not to see signs where there aren't any, even in furniture. I just had this pit in my stomach of like, I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, I don't know if, like, is this just like some fantasy? Like, I need to, if this is a fantasy, like, I need to call it. We'll be back with Anna after a short break. After the couch conversation, something changes for Anna and Arthur. And we're just like, kind of like commiserating in how unfun our relationship had become. And we decided that, like, maybe this isn't the right time. Um, And so we decided together to split up, uh, like, over FaceTime, which was just, like, so sad. (laughs) It's, like, so sad. Like, we were both, both, like, crying. Like, it was just like, oh, this relationship has just run its course. We broke up. They stop calling and texting each other. A month passes. Then Arthur reaches out. He tells Anna he's on the East Coast visiting family and friends. He asks if they can meet in New York. And he, like, came and he had this, like, notebook of, like, all the reasons why it made sense for us to be together. And he, and he made this sort of very, like, clear and direct appeal for why actually it was worth it to get through this hard time together. And my initial reaction was, like, oh, this is, like, when you break up with somebody, you don't get back together with them because you, there's a reason you broke up. Like, that was sort of my philosophy. And you get back together because you're both secretly afraid to be alone. So then Arthur tried one more thing, and um, this is, like, where the story gets really weird and, and really, <laughs> just really weird. Anna had been covering politics as a reporter in New York. Arthur is supposed to receive a wildlife research award at this big celebration in Wyoming. Before their breakup, Anna was going to be his date. One of the people who's scheduled to be at this event is Alan Simpson, the revered former senator from Wyoming, which gives Arthur an idea. He wrote this like beautiful letter to Alan Simpson and asked him to call me on his behalf to call to call me on Arthur's behalf and say like it will really would be great if you just come to this celebration <laughs> Simpson's personal secretary fields the letter she says well he, the senator is traveling but i'm going to put this letter in his red folder for matters of utmost importance <laughs> and so Alan Simpson gets this weird letter. The senator eventually reads it. After some prodding from his wife, he calls Anna on her cell phone and leaves a message. So I call back, and he 
he's like laughing and he's like describing how, he, you know, he doesn't know why he's making this call, but he got this letter and he starts reading me little excerpts of the letter. And I am explaining like, oh, we've just been through like, it's just been really hard. But wait a minute. Were and you then, were you first like, oh, my God, he wrote him a letter? Like, I feel like there, yes. there has to be the shock of like, this is a weird move. I mean, it was weird, but I just thought it was so delightful. Like, I was like, oh, this is, like, so weird and hilarious. Like, I just think, <laughs> right? like, it could have totally gone the other way, which was like, oh, my God, dude, like, just move on. You're, like, really, like, give it up. Arthur's plan works. Anna agrees to go to this event as his date. But that's all she agrees to. She's not quite ready to recommit to the relationship. But they spend the weekend together. They take a beautiful hike. And it all feels nice. And for me, what was shifting was instead of, like, this fear base, like, I don't see it. I don't get it. Like, how is this all going to work? Like, it just started to be like, what if, you know? And it, and it just, like, started to feel like possibility instead of, like, heaviness and, like, uh, dumb choices, which is what I was afraid of. Like, the the cost of losing him and the cost of me not appreciating our relationship. Like, um, when we got back together, it was like, we're doing this. We don't know exactly how it's all going to go, but we're doing this. Doing this, Anna says, meant planning a real future together. Marriage, family, household, and sharing money. They live together in a Brooklyn apartment for a while. Then Arthur gets a job offer at UC Berkeley, and they consider moving across the country. They get married, and Anna gets pregnant. And months after her daughter is born, they decide to make the big move to California. For help navigating all of these big changes, financial and otherwise, they go see a couple's therapist. Arthur's, like, the way he experiences my f- money fears, he's just like, you make things less fun. Like, he gets really frustrated. Like, he's like, we are in this phase where, like, awesome things are happening. Like, we get to move to this place, and I have this new job. This is all cool stuff. And, like, all the way I'm emotionally processing it is, like, you know, white-knuckled, like, holding on to the table, like, trying to figure out how to save money while we're doing all this stuff or how to make sure we're going to be safe while we're doing all this stuff. The therapist tells Anna and Arthur they have some work to do. Oh, the homework was so good. The really significant homework assignment was... We we were basically, like, we were trying to figure out what our budget was for housing. And we were doing, like, calculators online. We were looking at what was available. We were doing all the things where you, like, are basically trying to Google a, a really clear answer to a question that's about values. So Google wasn't helping us. The therapist wants them to sit side by side and map it all out. What they want to spend on housing, what childcare might cost, how much having a car will cost. What I remember is, like, we're sitting down on our bed, like, a Sunday afternoon, and he's got his laptop and I've got my laptop. And I'm, like, sure I'm going to win at this homework (laughs) because I'm, like, really good at doing the math and, like, knowing where all the numbers are. And we figured out halfway through that 
in fact, it wasn't about having two different spreadsheets and then comparing who was the more financially prudent person, which is how I was initially approaching it. It was about, oh, this is forcing us to have conversations about what money is for in our family. The spreadsheet work they did as part of this process, it's still the basis for their financial conversations today, Anna says. We have that spreadsheet now. Like, a lot of the variables have changed. Like, we know more about, like, how much little kids cost, and we had a second kid, and that costs a lot. So we, it's something that is like a working document now, and it's a way for us when we get into, like, battles about decisions about we had to buy another couch in Berkeley, and that was a big fight. <laughs> Couches just keep coming up, keep coming up. Like, what is the couch we're going to have in Berkeley? Anna says that when it comes to money, she and Arthur have learned to meet in the middle of the couch, so to speak. She can now appreciate that he pushes her to do things she otherwise wouldn't. He adds that to my life that's like, oh, you can do that. You can give yourself permission to spend money on things that are, like, not necessities. And that's really nice. Like, that's, that's really, really nice. He appreciates that, like, you know, I do, I do do all the day-to-day stuff. Like, and I make sure that our, we're, like, saving for retirement. I do this, the, like, terrifying college expense calculators. It's an ongoing conversation. But the thing that's not part of the conversation anymore is, are we doing this? I don't know. It's, like, so nice. Uh, It's so nice to know, like, we battle. Arthur and I battle. But we know that we're battling. We're trying to, like, make a decision together. And we're also trying to, like, have some of this stuff be less hard. You know, I think back to, like, myself when I was, you know, in 2011 and, like, just falling in love with Arthur and really scared and not sure if I was making the right choices and not sure if... We were the right partners for each other, and that fear was, like, so real. I don't think that's something I could have processed through more quickly than I did. Like, I had to go through it. My accountant, Jim, sees this thing with couples— He knows I'm a relationship writer, so he tells me that he can often tell when couples aren't going to make it because he can see what they're not sharing with each other. He always says, do not be that couple. Don't be sitting at your accountant's office arguing about what wasn't said earlier in the relationship. You want to be on the same spreadsheet. It's not a competition. You don't win when you're making a budget. Even if you're keeping separate accounts, you do it as a team. You accept your partner as they are and plan your life together. Maybe one of you white-knuckles it just a little, but maybe the other knows how to make it fun. I don't know, it's pretty cool to, like, be in a marriage and and have a family with a partner whom you've, like, we've, like, trudged through it, and we decided to do it together. Um, Like, we are are in it. Um, And so I feel, I feel, like, kind of embarrassed and, like, ashamed at some of the things that I did early on in our relationship. Why why didn't I just, like, why was I so all over the place? But, um, but it's what helped us decide that we wanted to do this together. For the record, Anna is so good at this, I want her to fix my life with her fancy spreadsheets. Oh my gosh, you would, you would have such a joy. I, I, there, there are sometimes charges that come in from, like, Apple, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I put it into a box in my mind that's called, like, whoops. 
I'm ever near you, I will hand you all of my my. I will I will give you my social security number and let you run with it. <laughs> As I look back at all my years, they seem to say among the tears. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory, Linda Henry, and to the team at WNYC's Death, Sex, and Money. You can find the Death, Sex, and Money podcast wherever you're listening to this right now. To hear more about Anna's story, you can read the piece she wrote for BuzzFeed in 2018 about money and relationships. Our music is by APM. I'm always trying to hear from listeners. Will you drop me a note? Email your problems to loveletters at boston.com or find us on Twitter at loveletters.blog and using the hashtag loveletterspodcast. You can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're now on Pandora, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, managing money can be hard. Well, I can't do math. I can't do math, Meredith. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. There's a feeling deep in my soul I know is there, cannot control